Beginning in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, and His statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which there were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirst in the thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end, that you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day, then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall perish as the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. A married couple, they're sitting in church, they're listening to the pastor, when suddenly the wife turns to her husband and, and she whispers, we need to get home as soon as possible, as fast as we can. I just remembered I left the iron on. I don't want our house to burn down. Well, the husband was unmoved. He never panicked. He turned to her and he said calmly, oh honey, don't worry about the house burning down. I just remembered I left the water running in the bathtub. <laughs> well, today I want to talk to you about remembering. It's Memorial Day weekend, the time Americans are supposed to recall the ultimate sacrifice of brave men and women who've laid down their lives to preserve our freedoms. And yet how many of us will get caught up tomorrow in the fun and in the play and will spend the whole day Monday without ever giving our fallen soldiers even a fleeting thought. Some of us will. Here's my question to you this morning. Do you have a good memory? Once there was a tourist who visited an Indian reservation, and he was told of a chief who had a perfect memory. The tourist, though, was skeptical. He asked the chief, he said, Okay, what did you have on for breakfast? Ah, on February the 3rd, 1958. Indian chief looks at him and he says, eggs. The tourists sort of scoff. That, what, that's no big deal. Everybody has eggs for breakfast. Well, 20 years later, the same tourist, he, he visits the same reservation. And he sees the same Indian chief. And he walks up to him and he throws up his hand and he greets him and he says, how? And the chief says, scrambled. <laughs> he had a good memory. Well, here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, the word remember, it occurs twice. And the warning, forget not, occurs another three times. In fact, the book of Deuteronomy is full of encouragement 
to forget not, to remember what God has done. According to our text, an important requirement for living a godly life is the ability to remember. God makes it our responsibility to remember. Whenever Kathy and I drive down Interstate I-20 through East Atlanta, she begins to cringe because she knows what's coming. I'm about to bore her with stories from my childhood that she's heard hundreds of times before. You see, I grew up along that stretch of highway, right off Flat Shoals Road in Gresham Park. We went to church at the corner of Glenwood, and I-20. My grandpa lived near Grant Park. The stretch of highway stirs up and sweetens my mind with memories. I remember climbing the oak tree in my grandpa's front yard and then eating those delicious globes of fruit off of his pomegranate tree. I can still feel the wind in my hair as we rode our skateboards from the top of the sloping subdivision all the way down to the bottom, the street where I lived. Every time I drive by the old church where my family attended, I remember me and my fifth grade buddies climbing out the window on the second story of the church and dancing on the roof during Sunday school. Memories are a wonderful invention of God. They allow us to relive our joys and our high points and the good times over and over. In fact, it's been said, even that which was bitter to endure may be sweet to remember. When I drive down that stretch of highway, I begin to reminisce, and though I bore my passengers, I get giddy. Good memories can be a lot of fun. If your house actually did catch on fire, start burning to the ground, and you had time to go in and fetch only a couple of items, you know, I'm sure one of those items would include the family photo album. Why? We cherish those pictures. For those pictures conjure up sweet memories of weddings and of births and of little league games and of birthday parties and of graduations. From home movies to VHSs to DVDs, how much have you accumulated in the way of memories over the years? We even have the luxury of filming our memories. I'm sure the Hebrews wished that they had possessed a camcorder. Think of the magnificent footage that they could have filmed. A Hebrew family with a DVD, my oh my. Can you imagine? Let's get out the discs. Let's look back on all God has done these last 40 years. Just eavesdrop in on their conversation. Little Joseph, he shouts out, Hey, fast forward to the parting of the Red Sea. My favorite part is when the waters come back and swallow up those Egyptians. Uncle Samuel says, Show the clip when Moses struck the rock and water gushed out. That was so cool. In fact, that's the best water I ever tasted. Sister Miriam chimes in. Oh, all that manna on the ground. Look at that. It's as strange today on the film as it was in person. We thought God had caused it to snow in the desert. Finally, Mama Rachel, she, she comments. Hey, freeze frame that. I, I want to study that bronze serpent there. You remember, I was saved from the plague. I had the illness. My life was saved. But I was always sure that that bronze serpent had some symbolic meaning that I didn't quite understand. And of course, if the Hebrew homes are like mine, I'm sure someone else would have piped in and complained. Who took this footage? Dad, why don't you learn to use a tripod? You got the camera bouncing all over the place. 
I'm sure if DVDs were around when Moses wrote Deuteronomy 8, he would have added the command, pull out the photo albums, watch the videos, and remember the wonderful works that God has done in your life. Several years ago, a, a lady in the church, a friend of mine, she took some of the pictures I had of, of my family and she arranged them and then she cropped them out and she framed them and she made these collages for my office. And I'm so thankful for those photos because often I'll, in the middle of the day, I'll just pause for a few minutes and I'll look up at those photos and I'll take a trip down memory lane and I'll just start thanking God for the many blessings He's poured out upon my life. I have a basket full of pictures that remind me of the work God has done in and through Calvary Chapel over the years. They help me to remember. And we as Christians have a responsibility to remember. But here's what I suspect. Even if the Hebrews had videos and had photos, they still would have had to make an effort to remember what God had done. After I hang most pictures in my office, I still have to work at savoring those memories. The problem with videos and photos is that they can be ignored. You can get busy. You can walk right past picture frames and you can ignore memories. Good memories, healthy recollections grow out of a right attitude. An attitude that's teachable and humble and trusting and grateful. You see, a proud person He's focused only on where he's headed rather than grateful for where he's been and what has contributed to his success. A discontented person is preoccupied with what he can get. That's all he's focused on rather than on what he's been given. An anxious person is too busy worried about what might be rather than be thankful for what's already been. A greedy person has his eyes on the gifts he wants to receive while he all the time ignoring the giver. You see, if you have the wrong attitude, you won't remember and you won't be thankful. If you want to store up good and godly memories and take seriously your responsibility to remember, you need to cultivate a right attitude. You see, on the day Moses led the Hebrews out of bondage, he issued to them a command. Forty years earlier, from the Deuteronomy passage, we're told Moses said to the people, Exodus 13 verse 3, Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. Notice, Moses commanded them to remember. He commanded Israel then, and in the years ahead, as a people, and as children, and as grandchildren, and as great-grandchildren, as a nation, he commanded them to do all that was possible to fan the flame of of these memories. They were to keep alive the recollection of God's salvation and God's provision. But here in Deuteronomy, we're now talking 40 years later, 40 years removed from that original command. And these years have taken their toll. A lot of water now has run under the bridge. After four decades, the memories are no longer as fresh and as vivid as they once were. And here in Deuteronomy 8, verse 11, Moses addresses the second generation and he warns them, Beware that you do not forget. Did you know that memory loss is a very real danger to your spiritual life? And I'm always amazed at the memory of the kids in our school. 
if you come to one of the Calvary Chapel Christian School programs, you'll hear them reel off memory verse after memory verse. It's amazing. The volume of scripture they put to memory is astonishing. I'll never forget the year our third and fourth graders, they, they memorized Hebrews 11. The entire chapter, all 40 verses they put to memory. Their minds are just full of God's word. You know, when you're younger, you take for granted the ability to remember. But boy, when you get older, you realize what a blessing a good memory really is. Here's a man's letter to his cousin. Just a line to say I'm living, that I'm not among the dead. Though I'm getting more forgetful and mixed up in my head. For sometimes I can't remember when I stand at foot of stairs if I must go up for something or if I've just come down from there. And before the fridge so often, my poor mind is filled with doubt. Have I just put food in there or have I come to take some out? Certain nights I stand at foot of bed and my brain gets really swirly. I don't know if I'm retiring or just getting up a little early. So remember I do love you and wish that you were here. But I need to stop my writing because the postman's drawing near. P.S. So I stand beside the mailbox with my face so very red. Instead of mailing you this letter, I opened it instead. <laughs> Boy, the older we get, the more our memory fades. I used to laugh at memory loss until I witnessed firsthand what Alzheimer's did to my grandma. She lived into her, her late 80s, but she suffered from a quickly progressing case of Alzheimer's the last three or four years of her life. And at the end of her life, she couldn't even remember her name. At night, my grandpa would, would put her to bed, but she would refuse to go. She, she would look up into the face of her husband of over 60 years, and she would tell him that she didn't want to go to bed with a stranger. She didn't know who he was. She wanted to go home. My mom would go and visit her, and, and Grandma wouldn't even recognize her own daughter. It was heartbreaking. Here was a woman who all she had left were her memories, but she couldn't enjoy them. A dreaded disease robbed her of what she had spent years accumulating. I think if my grandma were here today, she would no doubt tell us to cherish and to treasure our memories. They should be some of our most valued possessions. This weekend is Memorial Day. It's a day that we set aside to remember our fallen veterans. And nowhere does this occur more passionately than at the many memorials that dot our National Mall in Washington, D.C. People gather there to remember. They gather at the World War II Memorial and at the Korean War Memorial. A ceremony is held across the river at Arlington Cemetery. At the Vietnam Memorial, all throughout the year, folks will bring reminders of loved ones they've lost in the war. These tokens of remembrance are actually gathered up and they're shipped to the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Collection. There's a book called Offerings at the Wall that describes some of these mementos left there. Along with his dog tags and a headband, one man left a letter that read, To all of you from Echo Company, I leave you my headband which contains my sweat from the war, my dog tag and a picture of me. Another time, another place, I'll never forget you. An American flag was left at the wall in which a young lady had written the following words. May all of you who died, all of you still missing, and all of you who return home, 
never be forgotten. Signed, Connie. You know, there are some sacrifices indeed so valiant that they deserve to be remembered forever. And this is certainly true of Jesus' sacrifice on Calvary's cross. Jesus was heaven's soldier who offered up his life on the battlefield of sin. He took the worst, took on the worst of our enemies and yet rose again triumphant. Reminds me of the mother and daughter who were on their way to the zoo. It was Easter week and as they drove past church after church, the little girl started counting the number of crosses. Finally she asked, Mom, how many times did Jesus die? Her mother assured her, honey, only once. Well, then why are there so many crosses? The mother replied, well, to help us remember how much Jesus loves us, that he died in our place on the cross. The little girl was appalled. She was upset. She was up in arms. She shouted, how could we ever forget something like that? And indeed, how could we? The cross of Jesus should never be forgotten. But what about the other wonderful blessings that God has poured out in your life? How many occasions has he parted your Red Sea? How many times has he brought water from a rock or sent manna from heaven that he's provided you provision when there was none in sight? Are we faithful to not forget? Or do we have a reoccurring case of spiritual Alzheimer's? You know, the sin of forgetfulness It snuffs out the remembrance of God's goodness and the rekindled fire of devotion that comes with those memories. Over and over, God forgives us and He works the miraculous in our lives. And each time we vow afresh to live for Him. But as the memory fades, so does the devotion and the loyalty. It's our tendency to forget that minimizes God's miracles. We lose the motivation that comes with those memories. And if memory loss was a problem for the Hebrews, it's also a danger for us. You see, unless we maintain the right attitude, unless we watch our heart, we can forget our God. In today's text, three statements are made about the heart. I want you to notice them with me. Verse 14 mentions the heart's posture. The heart's posture. Verse 17 speaks of the heart's pronouncements. And then verse 19 discusses the heart's pursuits. Deuteronomy 8 teaches us that by paying attention to our hearts, we can develop an attitude that won't forget, but that is faithful to remember. First, I want you to notice the heart's posture. This can cause you to forget the Lord. Notice verse 14 reads, When your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. We forget God's goodness when our heart gets lifted up. You see, in the down times, when your back's against the wall, when circumstances are difficult or complicated, when you're groping and seeking help, when your heart is humble, when you're needy, and when you're willing to admit your desperation, it's in those times that our memory peaks. Boy, in the tough times, man, we're quick to recall God's every promise. We, we want to hold on to every act of faithfulness. It's our lifeline. It, it's the, we hold on to it with the grip of faith. But notice what Moses says in verse 12. 
But when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. See, it's after a time of prosperity. When our heart gets lifted up, when, we're, when our life is riding high, that's when we're prone to forget the Lord. Oh, now that we're eating steak and potatoes most nights, we don't have to eat those Roman noodles again. And now that we're in a nice house, man, now that we got a little money socked away, now that our heart is lifted up, it's then that we're most prone to forget God and how good He's been to us. Reminds me of the two shipwrecked sailors. No hope is in sight. They're out there drifting in shark-infested waters. One of the men, he grows so desperate, the sailor decides to call on God. First time he's called on God in years. He starts to pray, God, I'll give up all my evil ways, my foul language, my taste for booze, my love for women. If you'll just sin... And that's when his sidekick, he interrupts him right there at that spot. And he says, well, wait, wait a minute, man. Don't say anything else. I think I see a ship on the horizon. Well, apparently he didn't think much of his friend's sincerity, did he? It amazes me how folks remember God when they need Him. But they quickly forget Him when their heart gets lifted up. And their need is no longer as apparent. One of my favorite prayers in the Bible is Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. Two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. In other words, God, give me just enough provision so I won't be tempted to steal, but not so much that I'll get fat and happy and forget the source of my blessings. Good prayer. You see, the best way to remember the Lord is to never forget the down times. Keep a fresh recollection of the trials and the hardships and the tests that God puts you through. Hold on to the lessons you've learned. Recall His faithfulness. You know, there are two verses that I hold side by side in my mind. John 15, verse 5, and Luke 1, verse 37. The first quotes Jesus. For without me, you can do nothing. But the second are the angel's words to Mary. For with God, nothing will be impossible. To me, that's the dynamic duo. That reminds you of two vital truths. Who I am in Christ, that's good. But I also need to remember what I'd be without Him. Yes, I need to, to remember where I'm headed, but I also need to remember where I've been. Keep those verses side by side, and it'll keep your heart right. You'll never forget the mercies of God. Well, you see, the posture of our heart can cause us to forget the Lord, but so can the heart's pronouncements. Verse 17 warns us of a potential danger. Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. Beware not to take the credit that belongs to the Lord. You know, Christians today are right to point out and to complain about a problem we're encountering in our public schools. It's called revisionist history. 
Politically correct historians are stripping from our textbooks any mention of the prominent role played by our Judeo-Christian heritage in the development of our nation and culture. They're abandoning the facts and the truth to rewrite history in a way that serves their political agenda. But on a more personal level, did you know that we too can be guilty of some revisionist history? We can say in our heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. When in fact, God was responsible for any and every blessing we possess. You see, our pride has a way of slanting the story. Many of us act like the tick that nestled its way through the dog's hair and latched onto its skin. We're sucking blood from the dog while he does all the work. Is this a description of your relationship with God? Write the word God backwards and it spells dog. Apparently it's easy to get it all backwards. And to steal the glory that belongs only to the Lord. I mean like the dog. God is the one who's walking and who's eating and who's drinking and who's fetching and who's exercising and who's squirming under fences and dodging high-speed cars and avoiding dog catchers. And you're just a little tick that's going along for the ride. You're drawing your nourishment and your blessing from God. But now you're the one that wants to take credit for all that's happening. Get real, man. How dare you in your heart say that your power, that the might of your hand is responsible for anything that you've accomplished. Be careful of the pronouncements we make in our hearts. You know, we know better than to say these things publicly. But we say them in our hearts, don't we? Be careful of the pronouncement of your heart. I mean, have you ever noticed that when you get together with old friends, past achievements tend to swell? Former exploits become exaggerated. This is especially true in athletics. The older I get, the better I was. <laughs> what I tell my kids today may or may not resemble what actually happened. I mean, the home run tends to grow in distance. The total points get rounded up. The fish grows in size after it's been cut up or thrown back. I mean, the further removed from the event, the further stretched the accomplishment becomes. And this happens in our experiences with God. An illusion develops. The tick starts bragging about how far and how fast it traveled. The cars it's dodged. The fights it won. The tick didn't do anything. The tick was just attached to the dog. But the tick talks. Tick talks. The tick talks. As if there were no dog at all. How can that be? Mark Twain put it this way. It isn't so astonishing the number of things I can remember as the number of things I remember that aren't so. <laughs> An unguarded heart will make rash and boastful statements. You know, I, I tell you, I know people who have simply talked their way into forgetting God. They, they've just been so busy articulating their own achievements and their own exploits, that they've forgotten the God who's been behind the scenes making it all happen. You see, a heart that assumes the credit, that's preoccupied with its own goodness, is likely to forget the grace and the goodness of God. Well, finally, I want you to notice the heart's pursuits. 
can also cause us to forget God's kindness toward us. Verse 19 warns, Then it shall be if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. Generally speaking, what you love, you remember. What you love is what you remember. You know, I've had a few adventures in my life that I've all but forgotten. I mean, we used to go whitewater rafting every year, and at the time it was such a big deal. But I don't know that I can recall any of the details of, of any one trip. I've been snow skiing a few times. That, that's a big deal at the time, but, but once again, I can't remember where we went or even what we did. But you know, when it comes to the people and the activities that I love, man, I got the memory of an elephant. The day I asked Kathy to marry me seems like yesterday. It's so fresh in my mind. I recall when Natalie was born. I couldn't believe it. I was walking down the hall. It's a girl. It's a girl. I can't believe God blessed me with a girl. I mean, I, I can't remember the Braves game I watched last night and how it turned out. But I can describe for you in detail games played by my sons years ago and exactly what happened. I remember the stuff they forgot. I remember the first fish that Zach ever caught. It was also his last, I think. <laughs> I remember Nick's first touchdown. I remember Mac's first home run. And why do I remember those details? Because you remember what you love. Alexander Pope puts it, How vast a memory has love. I've heard it put another way. The art of remembering is the art of taking an interest. You see, it's very difficult to remember something in which you have no real interest. In fact, in preparing for this message, I, I ran across ten tips for improving your memory. I'm just going to read you the first five, but I want you to notice a common thread. First, intend to remember. Second, understand what you are trying to remember. Third, organize what you want to remember into meaningful patterns. Fourth, become genuinely interested in what you want to remember. Fifth, review what you want to remember as often as possible. Notice the underlying idea here. Memory is enhanced by passion. It's amazing to me. Little boys can memorize the stats of their favorite baseball players. I mean batting average and slugging percentage and the number of home runs they hit in 1994. But those same little boys can't remember their spelling words from week to week. You know, we're inclined to remember those subjects that we're into that captivate our interest. Put it this way, you never forget what you truly worship. In verse 19, Moses warns the Hebrews that if they forget the true God, they will follow false gods. But I think the reverse is also true. Follow false gods. Allow other things to creep in. Let other affections and ambitions crowd God out of the forefront of your attention. In other words, follow stuff rather than God and you'll forget Him. You'll eventually forget Him. You know, human beings are limited in how many different subjects they can focus on at the same time. Now, now I acknowledge, I know that women are better at this than men. I can't chew gum and walk simultaneously. 
Whereas Kathy can iron a shirt, watch TV, read a book, talk on the telephone while she's spiking a kid. It's amazing to me. In my house, women are far better at multitasking. But even women have limits. Did you know your heart lacks the bandwidth for more than one supreme occupation at a time? Get too wrapped up in lesser pursuits. And you won't have the time or the energy to seek the Lord. And it won't be long until you've forgotten Him. Hey, the best way to avoid a lapse in memory when it comes to God and His mercies is to maintain a right attitude. It's to check your heart. Does it have the right posture? Does it make the right pronouncements? Does it follow the right pursuits? Hey, the attitude of our heart is strategic. After all that God has done for you, after He sent His Son to die in your place, after He sent His Spirit to live in your heart, after He's written your name in the Lamb's book of life, how can you, how can you forget the Lord your God and His Son, Jesus Christ? Have you cultivated in your heart an attitude that doesn't forget? Today, let's take seriously our responsibility to remember.